evening, everybody, and welcome to our Wednesday night service. We're going to be in the book of Colossians, if you want to open your Bibles to that, Colossians chapter 4. Um, the elders and I met last night, and we have come up with somewhat of a plan. We've got to put it together in a written form so we can get it to everybody. But at this point in time, it looks like we're going to wait another couple of weeks before we open the doors and start inviting people to come in. And, and who knows what's going to happen in the next two weeks, right? I mean, things can change day by day. But nevertheless, uh, we miss you very, very much. We want to be safe, but we also want to be together. So be patient, be thankful. And meanwhile, uh, we can get into the Word of God. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. Let's read that together. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying, for, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And we'll stop there. Let's get the first five verses down. Um, Paul is coming to a close in this letter to the Colossians, a church that he has never seen or visited personally, but has had word of. And he treats them as if they were his own children. And he's coming, like I said, to a close, drawing his letter to a close, and he has two points that he wants to stress as reminders before he goes. Now, I don't know if you guys had the experience that when you visit your parents' house and then as you get ready to go and you're loading up the car and you're getting ready to get into the car, all of a sudden they've got a couple more things for you before you leave the house. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, my precious, precious mother-in-law when we go up and visit her in Cottonwood, we'd be just about ready to get in the car and she goes, oh, oh, I just remembered something. And then she'll open the refrigerator and start to clean it out and giving us all kinds of things, you know, uh, vegetables, uh, milk, no chocolate, unfortunately, but she would just continue to just feed us more things. Well, that's what Paul is doing here. He's going to feed the Colossians a couple more points before he leaves. And those points are this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. In verses 2 through 4, he's going to talk about the inner life of prayer. And then in verses 5 and 6, he's going to talk about the outer life of witness. Prayer and witnessing. So... Let's look now at the inner life of prayer. Father, we, we open the Word of God. It's alive and living, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, you say. 
it divides between things that are of the flesh and of the spirit. Your word is rhema. It gives life, Lord. May it give us life today. In this day of the coronavirus, in this day of uncertainty, may we see the principles, the rock-solid principles of your word that we can trust in. And may we not be just hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verses 2 through 4, the inner life of prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the first thing he says here in closing is that we need to continue earnestly in prayer. This is how Paul supported the church in Colossae. People sometimes support the church with finances. Some people support the church with their labors. Everybody should be supporting the church through their prayers. Don't ever think that a prayer isn't much. You know, I can't do much more for you than pray for you. That is the greatest thing you can do for the church, is to pray for the church. We covet your prayers. He's supporting the Colossian church through his prayers, and we see example of that in chapter 1, looking at verse 9. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, we can see what he prayed for the church, and you can see what you can pray for Calvary Chapel Arrowhead about. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you remember Sunday sermon, anybody? We talked about what? The will of God, that's right. And it is God's will that you know his will, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Notice that strength uh, to be strengthened with is for the purpose of patience and long-suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So he encourages the Colossians to support themselves in prayer. His point is their life and ministry would only continue to prosper through continued vigilance in prayer. Now, I want you to notice that he uses four words to stress the essence of what we would call effective prayer. All of us want to pray effective prayers, prayers that will be answered, right? And the four words that he used are continue, earnestly, and vigilant 
and thanksgiving. Let's start with the word continue. The ancient Greek word translated continues built on a root that means to be strong. And in this passage, it implies persistence and fervor. Persistence and fervor. Oftentimes when we pray for things, we, it's like a one and done. We pray for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now I'm going to move on with my life. But Jesus wants us to pray. As a matter of fact, in Luke um, 18, he says, he taught this parable that men might always pray and not grow faint. In other words, they would continue to pray. And if you remember that parable, it was about an unjust judge. And there was a widow who kept pestering him and pestering him to get to get justice and he just would have nothing to do with her until um, he realized that she was not going to take no for an answer. And in verse 5 of chapter 8, Luke 18, she says, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, of course, we understand that in the parable, that it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The lesser is the judge, okay? And obviously the person who can give her justice was the judge. The person that we're praying to is God the Father, the judge of all of the earth. But is he saying that God is as unjust as the judge and needs to be nagged until he finally gets worn out? No, that's not the thing. It, it says that the Father in heaven is, is willing to give all good things to us who ask. There's a spiritual warfare and a battle that's taking place. And some things don't get done without a lot of prayer, earnest prayer. It's important, but it doesn't come easy. The next word that Paul uses is the word earnestly. Do you see that? Earnestly. This speaks of great effort steadily applied. Great effort steadily applied. You should see a picture behind me of a guy changing a tire on the side of the road. When I was younger, I used to drive a tow truck in my dad's garage. And we would go out and sometimes I would have to change somebody's tire. And I don't know if you've ever tried to change a tire after somebody has taken a pneumatic wrench to it, you know, and they just crank that sucker so that it is so tight that the Hulk himself couldn't undo it. But you get that star wrench and you give it steady pressure applied to it and eventually you break it loose. And that's the idea here. To earnestly pray is to pray with effort steadily applied, okay? Charles Spurgeon said this, you have a great work on hand for you, excuse me, you have a great work on hand for you have to move the arm that moves the world. Watch then for every means of moving that arm. See to it that you ply every promise, that you use every argument, that you wrestle with all might. And I want to remind you that this is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. Like I said, there's great spiritual warfare and demonic resistance against your prayers. 
And it isn't going to happen with just a one and done. And then he says, with that, with that in mind, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So keep at it. The word vigilant there, literally the Greek means to be wakeful. The phrase could well mean that Paul is telling them not to go to sleep when they pray. Wake up, old sleepyhead. How many of you guys ever fall asleep when you pray? Uh, I'm not going to tell you, but I have some of the best naps when I pray. Okay? Sometimes because of the tiredness of our body or mind, we struggle against sleep when we pray. Other times we pray as if we were asleep, all right? And our prayers simply sound and feel tired and sleepy. And that's just not going to get it done. Warren Wiersbe says there's no power in dull, listless praying. Real praying demands spiritual energy and alertness. And this can only come from the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to stick to it and you've got to be vigilant. Now another important principle in effective praying is this. Prayer should always be mingled with thanksgiving. See the second half of verse 2 there? Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but if you've been in this church and listened to me teaching, I have told you many, many times that expressing gratitude to God, to God is a big deal. In other words, God thinks it's a big deal whether you're expressing gratitude or not. In the New Testament, Jesus healed a lot of people but the only time he ever criticized anyone he healed <clears throat> was when he healed the ten lepers and only one of them came back to say thank you. First Thess Thess Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5.17, why don't you turn there. First Thessalonians 5.16. Remember on Sunday, we had the whole teaching about discerning God's will. Well, here you have a clue, all right? And it's pretty plain. First Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will for your life? In everything give thanks. Several Greek and Hebrew words are translated thanks, guys, and thanksgiving. But there are two that are used more often than the others. In the Hebrew, there's the Hebrew word yada, okay? Not the word that they used in Seinfeld, okay? Yada, yada, yada. But yada. Uh, it's the main word for giving thanks in the Old Testament. The concept of thanks comes up 102 times in the Old Testament, and this word is used 72 of those times. And here's the definition. Acknowledging what is right about God in praise and thanksgiving. Recognizing what is right about God. What are his attributes? God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He told Sarah, is there anything I can't do? It was rhetorical. He is compassionate. 
He is merciful. He is faithful. He is a healer. He gives peace. And on and on and on it goes. So we acknowledge what is right about God, and we praise him, and we give thanks for that. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Now, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word is eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. Thankfulness comes up 71 times in the New Testament, and most of those instances are this word, Eucharisteo. It's related to this word, or related to this word. You might see the word Eucharist in this, right? And you would be right. The term comes from Jesus giving thanks before eating at the Last Supper at the Apostles. Um, you can turn there or just write it down and check it later, but 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 Paul writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks, Eucharisteo, for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The definition of Eucharisteo is to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, and to give thanks. Now this is what that this is what that means for us. Giving thanks with that Hebrew definition is totally tied to who God is. The more you learn about God, the more you should praise and glorify him. The more you learn about him, it should be leading you to more and more praise. Chances are you don't meditate enough about who God is. Chances are you read the word and you say thanks for this or thanks for that, but it's superficial. You're not really paying attention. You've got to slow down and you've got to listen to the Spirit's voice. The psalmist repeatedly calls us to give thanks to the Lord for two things. And you can find this in Psalm 107, verses 1, 8, 15, and 21. He tells us to give thanks for his loving kindness and his miracles among men. His loving kindness and his miracles among men. It's not just a polite thanks for when something good happens. It's an outpouring of praise to God for who he is and what he has done. It requires you to give it some thought. It requires you to come from the heart, okay? Now, Psalm 100, why don't you turn there? It tells us how we give thanks. Psalm 100. Psalm 101. 100 verse 1 okay a psalm of thanksgiving right there in the title tells you what this psalm is all about make a joyful shout to the lord all you lands so how do we give thanks we shout it you get to shout at god isn't that cool shout thanks serve the lord with gladness come before his presence with singing 
So we shout and we sing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Bless. You're going to bless the Lord. That's stronger than praise. That is to give praise with adoration from a heart of adoration. Have you ever said or thought about somebody, I just adore you, I just adore you. When you give it serious thought of what God has done for you and who he is, you cannot help but adore him. For the Lord is good, verse five, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. We all appreciate being told thanks, right? For the things that we've been done for people. Um, and I have to make a confession here. Um, and I'm, I'm going to just lay it out there because uh, I fail miserably at giving thanks for things that have been done for me. Maybe you do too, maybe you don't. Maybe you're practically perfect in every way like Mary Poppins, but I am not. A few years ago, I turned 60 years old Sherry threw me one of the largest birthday parties I ever had in my life. It was totally shocked and surprised. Um, and people were so kind and generous and loving and gave me so many cards. And a lot of those cards had gifts in them. And it was wonderful. And I took them home and I put them on a shelf and I totally forgot about them. I got busy with life and I didn't send any thank you cards a major social faux pas that I am going to repent and rectify on that. However, we all appreciate being told thanks, correct? This mom wrote this letter about her daughter. She said, I mindlessly opened my daughter's lunchbox to empty it, and a small scrap of paper floated to the floor. Still with my mind elsewhere, I bend over to pick it up and the word mommy catches my attention. Mommy, thanks for making me a yummy lunch. Though in 10 years of packing lunches, I've never left a note in my kids' lunch boxes. My eight-year-old deliberately planned this one held on to the thought during recess, wrote it as soon as she got back to class and remembered to put it in her lunchbox. If I ever complained about making lunches before, I never will again. I'm grateful that I get to make lunches and for a lesson on appreciating the tiniest of things. What it does to God's heart to receive a heartfelt thank you. And you've got a lot to be thankful for, guys. You've got a lot to be thankful. A couple quotes about thankfulness. Um, don't know who wrote this one. It says, don't grumble because you don't get what you want, but be grateful that you don't get what you deserve. Um, Spurgeon said it ought to be as habitual to us to thank as to ask. And then... Uh, Stevenson 
So the man who forgets to be grateful has fallen asleep in life. Robert Louis Stevenson. All right, staying on the theme of prayer, Paul continues, Colossians 4, 3. So you can turn back there. Colossians 4, verse 3. Still on the theme of the inner life. Paul exhorted them in verse 2 to continue praying with thanksgiving. And he says, meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. It's like he's saying is, you know, guys, as long as we're on the subject of prayer, um, I'd really appreciate it if you would pray for us. But notice he doesn't ask to have his own personal needs. You know, do you guys remember where Paul is when he's writing this? He's in Rome. He is in prison. As a matter of fact, later the same year that he writes this letter, he's going to be beheaded. If you knew that was coming, and more than likely Paul knew that he was getting close to the end, what would you be asking people to pray for you about, right? He doesn't ask for prayer for his personal needs. He doesn't ask to get out of prison or to avoid being executed, but that God would open a door for the word to be shared. John Corson tells a story of an Arkansas woman who was confronted by a burglar who, after ripping the phone out of the wall, ordered her into a closet. She dropped to her knees and asked the regular if she could pray for him. I want you to know that God loves you and I forgive you, she said. The regular looked at her and apologized for what he had done. Then he yelled out the door to his partner in a pickup truck, says, we gotta unload all this. She's a Christian lady and we can't do this to her. The woman remained on her knees as the, the regular returned the furniture he had already taken from her home. Then he took the bullets out of his gun, handed her the gun, and walked out the door. The lady could have prayed, get me out of this, but instead she prayed, like Paul, how can I pray for you? That's in harmony with the heart of God. How do you know? Well, what did Jesus say on the cross about those who were crucifying him? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amazing. Me, I would like to think that I could be like Paul or this lady, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think that um, I would be praying, God, please show me where I put my gun, uh, something like that. But um, she took the more spiritual route. I've got a lot to learn in this arena, but I see the principle and the rightness of what Paul's modeling here as he prays not to get out of prison, but that he'll have boldness and wisdom in any situation. So, you know, Paul's praying, open to me a door. Give me a door of opportunity to share Christ. You remember now, Paul said that his life is a living sacrifice to the Lord, right? Uh, he said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he also told us, that I beg of you, please, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about that on Sunday. So Paul says, while I'm here in chains, let me share. And then verse 4 says, 
that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. In other words, that I would make the gospel clear and evident that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. A.T. Robertson comments on Paul's words as I ought to speak. He says, wonderful as Paul's preaching was to his hearers and seems to us he was never satisfied with it. Paul, why would he, he says that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's been doing this all his life, at least all of his career, if you will. He should know it. He should have it down. But every situation is different, isn't it? Every situation is different. Every audience is different. And you have to know your audience. So he's asking for supernatural wisdom to speak like he should speak. I wish, how many times I wish that I could have shared the Word of God more clearly to somebody that I was sharing. It just felt like it was, you know, bouncing off their heads and hitting the ground. I wasn't connecting with my audience. How I admire people like Ravi Zacharias and John Corson and, and Greg Laurie and Chuck Swindoll, who just have this supernatural spirit-tagged gift to communicate. Good to know that I can pray for that. I don't have to worry. God will answer that prayer. So that's the inner life of prayer. Now let's go to the other thing that he wants to remind them about, and that's the outer life of witnessing. The outer life of witnessing. Remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my, my what? Mm-hmm. You will be my witnesses. Now, it doesn't say you might be my witnesses or you good people will be witnesses. He says all y'all will be my witnesses. And it doesn't matter what kind of witness you are. You can be a good witness or a bad witness, but you're going to be a witness, right? Paul exhorts us here in verse 5 to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. This is being a good witness. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So first of all, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. In other words, live wisely among those who are not believers. Why? Because the time is short. The time is short. And, and if, if we're thinking about the coming of the Lord, certainly Paul thought it was going to happen within his lifetime. But even that being said, everyone you talk to, you don't know how long they're going to be around. You don't know if they're going to be hit by a chariot the next moment after you've shared with them, right? So you redeem the time because the time is short. The Christian's life is not only lived in the prayer closet. There also must be practical, lived-out Christianity, which lives wisely in the sight of unbelievers. Hypocrisy is a big turnoff. Have you noticed that? Hypocrisy is a big turnoff and has given many an excuse or the excuse they were looking for to not believe and to walk away. Brennan Manning said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians 
who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, how we speak has a lot to do with how we come across, whether hypocrites or not. Colossians 3.8, if you just turn your page over and look at verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul told them already, you yourselves are to put off all these. Remember that phrase, put off? It means like to take off, like taking off of your clothes. Put off these, anger, you ever spoken in anger before? Wrath, have you ever been wrathful in your speech? Malice, have you ever spoken in a way that you wanted to do harm? Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth? Tongue has a lot to do with that. But instead, go back to chapter four, verse six, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It's a double meaning in that word grace. It means God's grace and human graciousness. Speak with the grace of God that speaks life into the person and speak it graciously. A lot of times Christians have a tendency to, to speak about the grace of God in a way that is not graceful at all, but condemning. And that should never be. One commentator said to classical writers, the word salt, see, we're supposed to speak with grace seasoned with salt. The classical writers used the word salt to express the wit with which conversation was flavored. This means an aptitude for using words and ideas in a quick and inventive way to create humor. I love people who have a sharp, quick wit and can just retort right off of the, off of the cuff. A.T. Robertson said, grace and salt, wit and sense make an ideal combination. People that I know that speak with wit again, Rabbi Zacharias, he is, if you've ever listened to him teach, he has a very sharp wit, but yet he is never sarcastic or demeaning. He mixes humor with the truth, helps you understand, or he understands rather that behind every question there is a questioner, and he's there to win their heart, not the argument. And being quick-witted helps tear down the walls. Now, what if you're not quick-witted? Then keep your mouth shut. <laughs> speak what the Lord tells you to speak in your heart. Speak in love. Speak the truth in love and do the best you can. Now, why does Paul say to approach dialogue in this way? Verse 6, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul believed that Christians would answer others from biblical truth and that they would work at knowing how. In other words, they're not going to just sit and depend upon what they understand how to communicate, that they're going to teach themselves and learn. This refers to the method and manner of communicating answers to those who are outside. Um, William Barclay translates Colossians 4.6 this way. 
Let your speech always be with gracious charm, seasoned with the salt of wit, so that you will know the right answer to give in every case. I tell you, that takes practice. It takes study. He explains, here is an interesting injunction. It is all too true that Christianity in the minds of many is connected with a kind of sanctimonious dullness, an outlook in which laughter is almost a heresy. The Christian must commend his message with the charm and the wit which were in Jesus himself. Do you think of Jesus as being humorous and witty? That almost sounds sacrilegious to you. I don't know if you've seen the, the new um, movie that they've made out called The Chosen. And I love the way they portray Jesus. He's a smiling Jesus. He's not remorseful all the time. He's not morose, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And he even cracks a few jokes. I like that. I like that. It was, it's, it's really a refreshing view of our Lord and Savior. Um, another commentator says they must strive to cultivate the gift of pleasant and wise conversation so that they may be able to speak appropriately to each individual with his peculiar needs with whom they come in contact. Depending on the crowd you're hanging with, there's a different sense of humor. There's a different way to reach them. There's a different way to carry yourself and to talk to them. What did Paul say? I become all things to all people that I might win them to Christ. Okay? So, do the best you can. I've got a, a book that I'll recommend to you. It's kind of fun. It's by Larry King. You guys know who Larry King is, right? One of the great interviewers of our time. And it's titled, How to Talk to Anybody About Anything. And in it, he gives great suggestions of how to just talk in everyday conversation or in interviews. And uh, I found it very helpful. All right, um, we're getting close to the end here. Let me give you a couple reflections. As we are coming to the close of this book, it's important that we connect each section with the earlier passages of Colossians. Paul has spent considerable time in this letter explaining the truth and refuting bad doctrine. Yet all of the correct knowledge is of little good until it's applied in both the prayer closet and the public street of daily life. So number one, the proclamation of the gospel is empowered by prayer. The proclamation of the gospel is empowered by prayer. How you communicate, the way you communicate it, and what you actually communicate has to be preceded by prayer. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God as we come to the throne of grace and ask God for His blessings. Never separate the Word of God from prayer because God has joined them together. A lot of you already know this story, but someone came and was talking to Charles Haddon Spurgeon about the success of his ministry there. 
Um, and he said, would you like to see the powerhouse of this ministry? He showed the man into a lower auditorium and there it is here that we get our power. For while I am preaching upstairs, hundreds of my people are in this room praying. Is it any wonder that God blessed Spurgeon's preaching of the word? Um, I can tell you guys that I covet your prayers. You as a church member can assist the pastor in preaching the word just by praying for me. And like I said at the very beginning of the sermon, you know, you never need to say the least I can do is pray for you. I'm telling you the most you can do is pray for me. And I covet that. Pray for me as I prepare the word, as I study, as I meditate on it. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give me deeper insights into the truth. Pray that I will practice what I'm about to preach so that it will be real in my own life. And then as I am preaching and teaching, pray that the Spirit will give me the freedom of utterance. In other words, that I will be able to reach into the hearts and minds of people through the word. I have a document that I have posted on our website on how to pray for your pastor. And uh, I would encourage you to please read it and then pray it. I would be most grateful. The second observation in our reflections is watch your mouth. Watch your language. It's very unfortunate when Christians speak in rude and coarse manners, especially when the unsaved are listening. I just read an article before I got here. I, I, I hadn't read it even before I um, prepared the study. And it was about some professional basketball players, NBA players who are professing Christians who will, after the game, will point to heaven and just thank God for all that he has done for them, for them to be in this platform. But then during the game, as you see them, they let loose tapestries of swear words um, using what one writer called the mother load of all swear words. And it just lingers in the air. And for them, they laugh it off and say, that's just part of the game. Matthew 15, 18 says, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. And we read already in chapter three, verse eight, you know, let there be no coarse jesting, no filthy language coming out of your mouth. And why am I saying that? Why am I camping on that point? Because 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And your words or your testimony before you go give that answer can be totally wiped away because of the things that are proceeding out of your mouth. While we need to have convictions and not compromise, we must also cultivate a gracious spirit of love, and that is demonstrated through the words that we speak. Okay? Sometimes we just let our words fly, don't we? How many times have you done that and wish that you could have grabbed them and shoved them back in your mouth? 
And then it becomes even worse when you have little ones running around the house saying the same things that you say all the time. And then it's incredulous when you say, where did they learn that? <laughs> we know where they learned that. All right, let me finish with this quote. And um, Sam and <laughs> Dottie, come back up. The Christians walk and talk must be in harmony with each other. Nothing will silence the lips like a careless life. When character, conduct, and conversation are all working together, it makes for a powerful witness. All right? Enough for one night, guys, you think? Let's pray. These words that you have spoken to us tonight were there for a purpose, Father. I don't think there's ever a mistake when we teach from the word as we go through book by book and chapter by chapter. I don't think that there's ever a mistake. I believe that you had that section of scripture for that day for the purpose, Lord, of edifying your body, your people, your children. So I pray, Father, for those who have heard this, including and especially for myself, that you would work within us, Lord, a spirit of thanksgiving, that we will be thankful for everything that you have provided for us, for the means by which you have provided them for us. But more than those, that we would be thankful that our names are written in your book of life. We would be thankful and giving you praise for who you are. And I pray, Father, for many here who are just getting into their walk with you, that you would cause them to search the scriptures and study and find out, well, just who is this true and living God? Who is this El Shaddai, the mighty God? Just who is this Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides? Let them find all of your names that declare who you are and let them just meditate upon it. And truly, Father, just be enthralled that they know you, the true and the living God. And may that thrill turn to admiration and I pray, Father, that you would help us also to watch our witness. David said, if there be any wicked way in me, Father, reveal it and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, if our language needs um, a brush and soap, then I pray that you would reveal that to us and give us the grace to repent. I pray that if something we are doing, Father, the attitude in which we do it, the, the look on our face even, the countenance that we have or the complaining spirit we might have or the, just whatever it might be that contradicts our words when we say we love you and that we know you. It's been said that joy is the Christian's calling card.
And if that's the truth, then, Father, there's no room. There's no room for disparaging remarks and sarcasm. There's no room for self-pity and moodiness, Lord. So clean house, Father, as you need to, so that we can be the witness that we should be. And excite our hearts, Father, about the fact that you are coming soon. We look forward to that, even as Paul did in his day. And then when we see you face to face, Lord, we can draw near, wrap our arms around you, and just, just be glad. I pray these things in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.